Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. Welcome again tonight for an impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership, episode 57. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Tonight's panelist is Dr. Edwin S. Flores. Sir, please say hello to the people, sir. Hello, how are you? Wonderful, wonderful. So glad to have you here with us this evening. Tonight's topic is the anticipated academic and economic impacts of school closures. There is a tactical role for school closure in response to school-based cases of COVID-19 for decontamination in response to significant absenteeism of staff and students. The CDC noted that there may be some impact of much longer closures further into community spread, but that modeling also shows that other mitigation efforts, e.g. hand washing, home isolation, have more impact on both spread of disease and healthcare measures. With the enrollment in a possible crisis because of this endemic virus, how does Dallas ISD school leaders plan to stay resilient? How do they see growing its students, its teachers, its staff members against all odds with probabilities of continued schools closing, floating over our heads. Topic tonight will be the anticipated academic and economic impacts of school closures. Tonight, I'm, we are very, very honored to have with us Dr. Edwin Flores. Tell you a little bit about Dr. Flores. Dr. Flores is the managing partner and founder of the intellectual property law firm of Chalker Flores LLP in North Dallas, where he focuses his practice on biotechnology patent law. Before starting his firm, Dr. Flores was an associate at the Gary firm in Dallas. Dr. Flores also served as an assistant district attorney in Dallas County as part of the Lawyer on Loan program under District Attorney Bill Hill. Dr. Flores was born and reared in Mexico City, Mexico, and is fully bilingual and bicultural. After completing high school at the American School in Mexico City, Dr. Flores earned his Bachelor's of Science degree in Microbiology from the University of Texas at Austin and his PhD from Washington University and St. Louis in Immunology 
at the age of 26. By the age of 30, Dr. Flores had also earned his law degree from the University of Texas School of Law. From May 2005 to June 2012, Dr. Flores served on the board of trustees of the Dallas Independent School District, representing District 1, including one year as the second vice president of the board. After sitting out a term, Dr. Flores was again elected to the board of trustees in 2015. During his previous tenure on the Dallas School Board, Dr. Flores chaired committees on employment practices and mediation. Board ethics served as policy chair for three years, business chair for one year, and chaired the Star Employee Commission, which completely revamped the Human Resources Division of the school district, and led the initial development of a new comprehensive teacher evaluation system. Dr. Flores has served on numerous community boards, including KEP, DFW Charter School Board, International Leadership of Texas Charter School Board, Teach for America Dallas Fort Worth Board, the Tower Center Board, the Mary Crawley Council Research Center Board, the Boy Scouts Circle 10 Council, the Dallas Assembly Medical City Hospital Dallas Community Board, the Texas Leadership Forum Board, and the Licensing Executive Society Board, SMU Tate Lecture Series, Good Shepherd Episcopal School, the Dallas Museum of Nature and Science, the Dallas Historical Society, and the Southwestern Medical Foundation. From 2005 to 2008, Dr. Flores was appointed to the advisory council of the National Institute of General Medical Sciences of the National Institute of Health, NIH. From 2008 to 2012, Dr. Flores was also appointed to the prestigious Council of Councils of the NIH. Dr. Flores and his wife, Jessica, also an attorney, have two children that attend Dallas ISD schools. Dr. Flores, sir, you are definitely accomplished, sir. <laughs> well, it's just hard work. Yes, yes, we can see that, sir. We can see the work, we can see the sweat, and we can see the tears. Dr. Flores, with that being said, you have worn multiple, multiple hats sitting on the Dallas ISD school board over the years. From a parent, from an active community member, from a trustee's perspective, how do you see multiple school closures over several months affecting the future of Dallas ISD 
from each of those lenses? That's my question for you tonight, sir. Well, great. Well, I appreciate uh, being here and participating. Uh, I think, you know, from the, from the point of view of a trustee, uh, I mean, the, the thing that, that concerns me the most uh, is kind of the learning loss associated with not being able to be at school, right? So, so it started last March, you know, when we started shutting down schools all over the state and all over the country. And, you know, we, we pivoted very, very quickly. And I think that, that it's a, a tribute to the hard work of our teachers uh, that they were able to very, very quickly kind of learn a new set of skills, which was teaching online skills and, and developed all sorts of materials. I mean, it's just amazing what they were able to do on such a short notice. And, you know, in addition, you know, with the help of the administration and being able to deploy uh, hotspots and one-on-one -on -one devices and, and move very, very quickly to, to, to keep, you know, the kids learning, uh, I think was, was, was critical. Uh, during that time, and then as we head now into reopening of our schools, you know, we've already uh, reopened this week with, with you know, the, the lowest grade levels of each grade configuration, and then starting next week, we'll start with our hybrid plan uh, in pretty much every school. Uh, and we're, we're starting to, to figure out what that learning loss looks like and, and doing our, our initial, you know, map testing on the kids to, you know, make sure that uh, we know where they are and, and where they're, they're weak and where we need to, you know, do more work and, and create individualized learning plans for each of those kids. And uh, it's going to be hard work, and there's no doubt about that. Juggling in-person and online class is going to be difficult, but it's just amazing the resiliency of our teachers, their flexibility, uh, and their patience uh, in particular. As, you know, we've already been in school for, you know, couple weeks and, and are, you know, more than two weeks and are going to make, you know, make sure these kiddos are learning and we hope to welcome them and keep them in our schools once we, you know, fully reopen our schools, uh, you know, taking into account social distancing and, you know, the PPE and making sure all that's available and, you know, that the kids know and have an expectation of what that, that looks like. Um, you know, for special needs kids, then those needs are different and we have to adapt uh, just and adapt uh, for those needs. Uh, different ages uh, are at different levels of risk, uh, you know, for to being infected. Uh, and so, and then of course our teachers and parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and folks that they live with. So, you know, all those things need to be taken into consideration uh, as, as we, you know, we reopen schools. Uh, the economic impact of that um, you know, if you, if you start looking at it uh, from that point of view in terms of, you know, people going to work and, you know, restarting the economy, I mean, I think is, is also very, very important. And, and I believe that kids learn the best when, you know, they're in a classroom in front of with a teacher and, and other kids. And so hopefully we can get them there, all there, the sooner the better. Um, you know, the advent of a vaccine, hopefully in the near horizon, will be, you know, helpful in that regard. But we just need to keep on working on our social distancing and washing hands and, you know, doing, doing all the right thing to, you know, for everybody to protect each other. Thank you for that response, Dr. Flores. You know, a lot of people are saying that they're tired. They're, they're tired physically. They're tired mentally. And they're tired emotionally. 
They're, they're tired because there's so much that's going on that we're uncertain about. They're tired. You know, we are, I live in Dallas. I've been to the board meetings. I've seen how the board of trustees for Dallas ISD, how they carry themselves. I've heard the gripes. I've heard people that have had valid arguments. They have. I've heard them. I've heard how people have talked about, you know, the stakeholders. I've heard people talk about the sites, like the different school sites, like Thomas Jefferson High School, Walden Hill Elementary School. I've heard people talk about these, the, the vacant lot, you know, that was once Cary Middle School, right? They, they've talked about the bond, the, the $3.7 billion bond that's, that's coming out or coming up for discussion in November. You know, it, there, there's a lot of pressure on the board of trustees. You know, it's not for the average person. The average person would totally snap. I mean, you know what I mean? They would totally snap. But I see how you guys handle yourselves when you ask questions about, you know, the steering committee, right? Like, who's on the steering committee, right? What's, or, like, what's the rationale behind the, the school bun? You know, what's being done about the telecommunication or the teleconference meetings, you know, what, what is the point? What is the point? What is the point? And, and you have got to be exhausted, Dr. Flores. You've got to be exhausted. But you keep it moving. And from your background, <laughs> from, from your start, from where you started and where you are now, it's, it's that momentum. It's that perseverance. It's that resiliency that helps you keep hunting for the good stuff. Let me ask you another question, Dr. Flores, if I may. What, what more should we be providing if schools have to return to virtual learning multiple times during the year? Because every, every child has a different learning style. We know that. Some have special needs. Some have various needs that must be addressed individually because there, there are different categories to uh, learning disabilities. I believe there's like 13, right? So what do you suggest that we should do if we are quarantined multiple times throughout this school year, 2020 and 2021? That's my question, sir. Well, you know, first of all, I hope we're not quarantined multiple times and, and you know, during this school year, hopefully the reopening will go smoothly and the cases in Dallas County, you know, will continue to stay low and we'll move from the orange to yellow to then eventually to green. So, so that's the hope. Uh, I think that um, that's great, but we have to plan for that not being the case. And so that's why we've, you know, implemented measures to make sure that we do have, you know, PPE widely available. We have plexiglass screens between kids. You know, there'll be very strict rules on, you know, when they're wearing masks. They'll, of course, always have to be wearing masks, but we've also provided face shields for all the students. 
Uh, so, so hopefully we won't have, you know, huge amounts of school closures. In fact, you know, I'm hoping that we don't have any school closures. The, the plan right now, depending on the level of exposure, of exposure and time of exposure, which is what we're, you know, working with the, with the county health officials on uh, very, very closely, you know, is to figure out how, you know, to what extent do we need to, you know, uh, close a classroom, close a wing of a building, you know, so that we don't have to close the entire school because we'll be able to gauge and figure out, well, what was the exposure level, what was the amount of time, and there's some, you know, good guidelines on what that looks like, and, and then hopefully with the county we'll be able to be providing the testing and the support for those families and kids, you know, in the event that and we will, and we have our dashboard went live today, uh, our COVID dashboard. Uh, so all that information will be very public and transparent about where we're seeing cases, whether it was students, whether it was faculty, et cetera. So I think that, that we all need to be patient. I think that's one thing we need to be, uh, we need to be flexible, uh, but we need to be smart and we need to be, you know, show the, the level of care for each other that I think that this country has demonstrated since March. Uh, that, you know, we really do care for each other and we're willing to shut down our economy and, you know, stay at home and work from home. Uh, and it's now time to start reopening, but to do it thoughtfully and smart and, and to be as safe as possible as we do so. Uh, so, you know, attending to each individual's kid's needs, whether they're special ed or not, I mean, we're pioneers in that. So we have our personalized learning schools where instead of a one-size-fits-all education, we have a one-size-fits-one education. And every kid has their own personalized learning plan. We have uh, you know, about half a dozen of those schools throughout the district. A couple in my political district, they're all our schools. These just happen to physically be in my political district. And they're very popular. And I think we're seeing a lot of really good returns at those schools in terms of uh, student outcomes. So I think we can learn from that as we go and provide one-to-one devices and, you know, hotspots and, and making sure every kid has the technology and there isn't a, a digital desert uh, as we've seen in the past because, you know, technology can be lear- uh, leveraged to educate kids, but only teachers educate kids. Uh, but that technology can be pretty key, and right now it's demonstrating itself to be absolutely key. Uh, so I think that those are the, the, the lessons we're learning from this. Uh, but again, I, I, you know, I really, really hope that we're not going to have either widespread closures or kind of closing and opening. I don't think that that's good for kids. I don't think it's good for our, our staff uh, and, and, and our community. So to the extent that we can avoid doing that, well, of course, at the same time, you know, the safety and security of our kids is paramount. And, of course, our staff and everybody that, that is associated with them, you know, at home, whether it's grandma or their uncles or parents. So... You know, we, we just need to be smart. Thank you for that response. Dr. Flores, you, you spoke multiple times about the hotspots in Dallas ISD. And again, Dallas ISD is spearheading education, the education system in America. They are. Whether people want to admit it or not, they're doing it. But they are especially doing it in Texas. The percentage of success is past the 80-20 rule. I mean, people have never seen anything like it before. The response time, the way the researchers were sent out 
they were deployed into the different layers, into the different environments, from the individual all the way out to the government to see what can be done. They brought in and they hired extra support staff to monitor the call logs for, for the teachers, for the parents, for the students who needed hotspots. This district should be commended. With that being said, we know that there are support systems out there. You gotta have them. You gotta have a support system to be successful. So how, how do you build on acquiring supportive business partners to maintain, because we're talking about, I guess we're talking about sustainability. I guess we're talking about attrition, retention. And so how do you employ those partners to maintain the strong district that we have in Dallas ISD? That's my question, sir. Well, I, it's a great question, and, and, I, I, and, and thank you for the kudos. I think that they're deserved. The staff has done a great job from the campus level all the way to central administration. And, and I can tell you one thing about the business community in this town. There is no business and philanthropic community in the United States that is as supportive as the one in Dallas. Uh, I mean, it is just amazing the amount of philanthropy that we've received, speaking specifically about the hotspots and the one-to-one -one devices. Uh, I mean, we've used some of our own money because we had bond money from the 2015 uh, bond, uh, still available for deployment of technology, but we've received millions of dollars into the Dallas Education Foundation uh, for uh, these hotspots and and for devices and other support associated with it. So, so it has not been just our effort. It's been the community's effort. And now there's a new uh, effort to do kind of a countywide um, kind of bridging the digital divide so that, you know, the city and the county play a role in, in, in this deployment for those kids who need it as well. I mean, because it's not just Dallas ISD kids, it's charter school kids and other kids that, you know, attend maybe parochial or private schools on scholarships and don't have this kind of access, digital access and, and devices. So it's a, it's a countywide problem. It's a national problem, but we're doing what we can in Dallas. Uh, how you engage businesses is to make them your partners, is to make them part of a solution. And so I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, both our Pathways to Technology high schools, our P-TECs, every single one of our p every high school has a P-TEC now, I think. Um, and, you know, those business partners that we team with at each campus are part of the solution. They're part of our engagement and they're partners with us and come and mentor kids and provide, you know, in some cases, summer work experiences, uh, you know, job site visits, uh, educate the kids about what they need to do to be able to get a job with those companies. Uh, those are for the college-bound kids. And now we also have our new career institutes, which are also, um, you know, jobs of the future that require some higher education, but perhaps not a four-year degree. 
Uh, and so these career institutes are also an amazing way to engage with, with not just, you know, the businesses, but also like unions and other organizations that are helping us, you know, the pipe fitters and, and HVAC folks and all the electricians and those guilds and, and unions that are helping support us, as well as the businesses, of course, that want to hire highly, you know, qualified students that have passed their certifications. And so that partnership, both of those partnerships, are you know with Dallas Community College District, but now with Dallas College uh, colleges, and also UNT uh, at some of our schools. So it's kind of a three-legged stool that makes supporting these kids, uh, you know, along with the Dallas Promise, uh, which makes makes it affordable for our kids. As you know, you know the vast majority of the kids in Dallas ISD are in poverty, 92% or higher. Uh, are free to reduce lunch, and, and so providing this education, this engagement with those future employers that are coming to us and the, the, the Dallas colleges to say, these are the skills that we need for the kids that are going to graduate and become our future employees is priceless because now they know their names, they know what they can do, you know, they worked with them already. Uh, they know their skills. They know that we're training them, and, and Dallas colleges are training them with the right kinds of skills, whether it's accounting, whether it's in the sciences or engineering, you know, whether it's in construction, you know, healthcare. All of these partnerships are just, you know, part of what's been built in Dallas over the last really kind of decade uh, through a lot of hard work from good folks and, uh, you know, the board supporting you know, new initiatives around these early college high schools that are also called, uh, where the kids graduate with a two-year associate's degree at the same time as their high school degree, 60 free hours of college that are transferable to four-year state universities by law. I mean, this is, this is really, really important stuff. I mean, we are creating the workforce of the future. Dallas ISD, of course, has a central role in that, but those business partners are essential. Without them, you know, how do we know what, the, what they need, what they're looking for? So we're, that's, that's, that's one of the things that in my tenure on the board, I can say that I'm really, really proud of, is how now there are thousands of kids that are going to graduate every year with an associate's degree and a high school degree, which means they can go on to a four-year college and finish in two years. I mean, that's just amazing. I just, you know, it, it, it really is you know, some of what we've been able to build. And then also now with our career institutes for those, you know, kids that need that kind of, that want that kind of job, that maybe don't want the four-year degree, but do need those skills to have real wage jobs. Jobs where they'll make real money. The future entrepreneurs, the, the future owners of HVAC companies and plumbing companies and electrical companies and, you know, healthcare support companies, all those folks, IT, uh, the cybersecurity, drone, you know, flying drones and taking, you know, drone video. I mean, that's a huge business. All those things are things that we're doing, and that's with our partners, our, our business partners. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about what we've been able to build. You can look on our website and see all our business partners for PTEX, and you can see all our business partners for the Career Institutes, and it's a kind of a who's who of, of not just, you know, global international companies, but also local Dallas companies and accounting firms and you know, all sorts. It really is it really is pretty cool. Very proud of that. And as well you should be. You know, sir, you cannot help I cannot help and for the listening audience 
I'm sure they can't either. But to get emotional from your response. To hear, I heard it. Okay, I heard it. I heard your compassion. I heard your, your empathy. You know, I'm, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Brace yourself, Dr. Flores, because at the end of this, I'm going to ask you to be transparent. I'm going to ask you to share a personal story at the end. So I want to give you a heads up. Okay. Because this time is, is ripe and is of an essence. But let me ask you this last question because I, I want to hear your story. <laughs> I want to, because this has ministered to so many people already. But as an immunologist, because you studied microbiology, what does this edemic virus say to you personally that you could explain to the listening audience, the parents, the students who may be listening in? And could you, could you tell us in English and then give it to us in Spanish and translate, sir? That's my question. Oh. Sure, sure. I'll be glad to. Well, I mean, you know, this coronavirus is a very interesting virus. It, uh, uh, it is a lot more contagious than the usual typical coronaviruses. It has a different receptor that it binds to that, uh, you know, versus, you know, normal coronaviruses. I mean, coronaviruses usually kind of the ear, you know, nose, throat kind of a thing. Uh, and this one is more like its MERS and its SARS counterparts, which, you know, get deep into the lungs. And, and this one even kind of gets into other organs uh, as a result of, its, of the receptor that it binds to. And it binds to that receptor with very high affinity, which means it really, really binds very, very tightly. Uh, and then produces more little viruses in each cell as it, as it infects those cells. So, so it's really unique in that way. On the other hand, you know, it's a coronavirus you know, the vaccines that are being developed are bound to be extremely robust and, and very uh, effective. Uh, certainly those are the early indications from the, the trials that have been done so far. I have clients that have vaccines in development and they're certainly seeing that. Uh, you know, these viruses uh, don't tend to mutate the way the flu virus does. Uh, just because it is, it's a very different kind of virus, just the shape, structure, everything else. So, so I think that, that in, you know, from an immunologist's point of view, it does highlight the fact that we need to be vaccinating our children, and vaccinations are very, very important. They are the most efficient healthcare ever developed in the world. You know, for the amount of money that you pay. You know, most of these vaccines are practically free. You know, you know there is no smallpox in the world anymore. For all sense, you know, purposes, polio doesn't exist anymore. I mean, polio is an incredibly debilitating disease that now kids get a little drop on their tongue. You know, handful of times when they're young, they will never get polio. I mean, it's a horrible disease, uh, and yet with these little vaccines. It all goes away, you know, DPT and all the other things that we give our kids, you know, early in their life, I mean, are essential to health care. Uh, you know, we, the vaccines have saved billions of lives. 
So, and, and, and for the cost, I mean, there is no better money spent on healthcare. So, so that's my pitch as an immunologist. I just think the vaccines are incredibly important. Uh, they're extremely specific and, you know, uh, the, the, the side effects from them, you know, versus the health outcomes is, is just, you know, the, the it, it, it's orders of magnitude beneficial. Uh, I mean, there are some individuals who cannot use, you know, take, for example, a flu, flu vaccine if you're allergic to eggs because guess what? It's made in egg. Uh, so you do have to be careful about that. But, you know, for billions of people on the planet, uh, vaccines are, are so, so important. Um, I'm going to switch to Spanish now. Este, buenas noches. Mi nombre es Edwin Flores. Este, me están entrevistando tocante a las escuelas, pero comentó el señor este, Isaiah que soy inmunólogo, entonces pues unos comentarios para este, los hispanoparlantes en, en la audiencia que, que quieren saber un poco más del virus, pues es un virus, este, un coronavirus muy interesante, tiene unas características muy interesantes, este, se reproduce rápidamente, infecta células que normalmente no se infectan con, el tipo de, con este tipo de virus, pero al mismo tiempo las vacunas van a ser muy efectivas en contra de este virus por el simple hecho que es un virus que no se muta muy rápidamente y esas mutaciones en realidad no son grandes este, y no cambian las características básicas del, del virus. Entonces, este, las vacunas que se están este, eh, preparando ahora y ya este, probando este, me imagino que van a ser muy eficaces como son las de polio, como son las de, de varicela y otros, este, otras vacunas que existen que son muy importantes para, importantes para nuestros niños que se vacunen. Este, entonces yo creo que, que a, a, a corto plazo ya teniendo la vacuna vamos a poder... Este, vamos a poder erradicar este virus. Entonces, son, esas son las buenas noticias este, tocantes al virus. So, Isaiah, I'm, I'll switch back to English now, but, uh, you know, coming. Wow. Thanks. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias, Dr. Flores. Dr. Flores, tonight has, you know, you taught me a lot tonight not just about the topic, but you taught me about resilience. Because you don't get to answer the questions that you answered tonight without hard work, without compassion, without having a heart. You have a big heart, I see it. I see it shining brighter than I've ever seen it before. I want you to tell, sir, Dr. Flores, I want you to tell us, I want you to share with us a story about overcoming the odds. And I want you to say it first in English, please, sir, and then please translate it in Spanish. Thank you. Sure, I'll be, I will be glad to. And again, thanks for the opportunity to, to participate. So, so it, it's actually not a story about me, although it is very highly tied to me. 
because it's a story of my dad. And, and so my dad was born in a small town in central Mexico called Celaya in the state of Guanajuato. Uh, at the time when my dad was born was roughly uh, 1925. Uh, Mexico was, was kind of emerging from its revolution still. Uh, and my dad grew up in a household where his parents had a second grade education. That's as far as my uh, grandparents had been able to reach. Uh, so my dad was the oldest of uh, 14 kids, of course, Catholic in central Mexico. There were a lot of kids. Uh, Ten of them survived childhood, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of the times. And he was the first, being the oldest, he was the first in his family to finish elementary school. Nobody had ever finished elementary school in his family. Uh, and then he went on to middle school, and he was the first in his family to actually finish middle school. And it turns out that Celaya didn't have a high school. This is now Mexico in the 30s. Uh, so they had to send my dad away to, to uh, Michoacan, to Zamora in Michoacan, which is a different state, uh, so that he could attend a, a high school that actually had a dorm. Uh, and he, my dad always talked about the fact that, you know, this is Michoacan, this is up in the mountains, and the water wasn't heated. So they had to take showers in cold water up in the mountains. Uh, so <laughs> he was, turns out to be the first in our, in our entire family to finish high school. Uh, and then he was fortunate enough to be able to uh, get scholarships to attend the National Polytechnic Institute. And then he was able to attend and get degrees in uh, mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. Not only got two degrees, he was also first in his class. And it turned out, at least since I'd left Mexico back in the 80s, last time I checked, he was the only Mexican to have been, been first in his class in two different degrees at the same time. Uh, he was then able to study physics at the National uh, University of Mexico. Uh, he got his degree in physics. And in Mexico, didn't have any graduate programs and was fortunate enough to be able to come to the U.S. Uh, President Eisenhower had a program called the Atoms for Peace, uh, and my dad was one of the scientists selected from Mexico to be able to come to the U.S. to study, and uh, he was able to uh, complete his uh, master's in nuclear engineering at a college in Pennsylvania called Lehigh. And then it, he did his uh, PhD in theoretical nuclear physics at Cornell University in upstate New York. So he was Mexico's first PhD in nuclear physics. So don't tell me that being from poor or being, you know, in this case, Mexican, uh, is your destiny. Clearly, if you work hard and you stick to it and you show up in this great country, that he was just fortunate enough to be able to come to, uh, you can achieve anything. I mean, education is the great equalizer. And he graduated with a degree. My next uncle after him was a doctor. Uh, they're four engineers. Um, my two aunts are chemical engineers. And then I have one uncle that owns businesses that's wealthy beyond belief. Um, and then another uncle who's a nuclear physicist. Uh, so, uh, all my brothers and I all have degrees. Uh, in fact, the, the one little factoid I have that, that I'm really, really proud of is that all 11 Flores that, that have applied to the University of Texas have gotten in. So my four brothers and, well, I guess I applied twice, 
and then all my nieces and nephews that have applied so far have gotten it. So we're 11 for 11. Uh, so, I mean, that's the legacy. That's what happens when one person changes the direction of a family, where now it's like a given. I always knew I was going to get an undergraduate degree. In fact, I grew up knowing I was going to get a PhD. I also have a law degree now. But um, So that, that was... That's the story. I don't know how much time I have. I'll be glad to say in Spanish, because I tell the story in Spanish all the time. Este, la, la historia es que mi papá este, creció en un pueblo que se llama Celay, en Guanajuato, en el centro de México. Y mis, mis abuelitos mexicanos solo habían completado el segundo grado. Y mi papá, esto fue en los, en los 20 y 30, uh, <laughs> de hace un siglo casi, sí, ya casi un siglo, este, fue el primero en su familia en terminar la, la primaria y fue el primero en su familia en terminar la secundaria en, en Celaya, pero en Celaya no había prepa preparatoria, entonces tuvo que irse a Zamora, Michoacán, a una prepa que tenía dormitorio para poder terminar este, la preparatoria, fue el primero en su familia a terminar, después pudo estudiar en el Instituto Politécnico Nacional en la Ciudad de México y este estudió ingeniería, ingeniería electrónica y mecánica primero en su generación en los dos después estudió física en la UNAM en la Universidad Nacional uh, Autónoma de México y después pudo gracias a este gran país Estados Unidos y el presidente Eisenhower pudo venir aquí a estudiar en, a Estados Unidos bajo un programa que se llamaba Los Átomos para la Paz y estudió su maestría en ingeniería nuclear en la Universidad de Lehigh en Pensilvania y después hizo su doctorado en física nuclear en la Universidad de Cornell y fue el primer físico nuclear de México entonces claramente siendo pobre, siendo mexicano, siendo celayense pues no fue su, su, su destino, él pudo crear su propio destino, Yo, todos mis tíos y tías son o ingenieros o médicos o otro que es también físico nuclear, este, empezando, trabajando, llegando, yendo a la escuela, y en este país, en Estados Unidos, se puede uno que le echa ganas y trabaja, puede llegar a todos los niveles educativos, yo pude hacer mi doctorado y estudiar después Derecho también, entonces, todo se, todas esas puertas se abren con la educación. Lo igual a todo la educación. Entonces, esa es, esa es mi historia que me, que me pidió el señor Isaiah que, que contara. So, Isaiah, I'll switch back to English now, but, but, you know, told my story instead. Tonight was absolutely next level. This was another impactful night of Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 57. I'm your host, IE3 for Ronald Third. Tonight's panelist was the Honorable Trustee Dr. Edwin S. Flores. Good night. Welcome to 
the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting.